The word of God that forms the basis of our meditation this day is our epistle lesson from 1 Peter. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you again for the opportunity to gather together as your people in your place to hear your love and will for our lives. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and our minds that we may hear and understand the privilege that we have of being your children and how that changes our perspective, our outlook, the way we live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's an old Chinese uh, parable prophet, a, a parable or a proverb, that's the word I was looking for. It's about an old guy who lived with his son in an abandoned fort. One day, the horse that they relied upon, depended upon for their daily needs, uh, ran away. This horse was allowed them to carry vegetables uh, to and from the city, allowed, uh, of course, to also plow fields to, for the preparation of the planting and new a uh, new field for the next year, and all of a sudden was gone. When the neighbors uh, heard about it, they went to this old man and expressed their sympathy. Too bad, they said. The man responded, how do you know it's bad? The horse returned and brought back with him a dozen wild horses. The neighbor said, this is good. The old man responded, how do you know if it's good? When my son tried to tame the horses, he broke his leg. Bad, they said, very bad. The man responded, how do you know that? Shortly after his leg was broken, the war broke out, and my son was laid up and did not have to go to the front. Sometimes how you look at things changes your experience events that happen to you often take on a hopeless sense of your life you know when things pile up and it's one of those days where it seems everything goes wrong we start thinking everything's going wrong throw in a bad news here or bad news there and next thing you know that news is all that matters that's all we can think about and it has an impact on how we live our lives you know it's one thing to know that death is an inevitable aspect of all of our lives it's another thing to deal with the death of a loved one or when the doctors say well i got some bad news you got three, four months to live. It's one thing to focus your attention as a work on your retirement age. And yet it's another thing to have to deal with the fact that as you look toward your retirement, you're going into it when we're facing a 40-year high when it comes to inflation. We have a tendency to allow the little things, and granted, they're not so little when they're yours, but to determine how we process life, how we see ourselves, what's our purpose, what's our reason, why we're here. I mean, we're sitting at the sixth Sunday after Easter. 
Have you already kind of sensed that the, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus has faded because, well, your life isn't any different today than it was five weeks ago? For those who've been around the Christian block more than once, who've heard the messages over and over, do you go back a couple of years and you think to yourself, what's the point of it all? I'm just still the same person. Things still don't work out the way I want. But there's always a different perspective. There's always another way of looking at your life, a defining word, if you will, and that word is, is God's will. The interesting thing about Peter and our text for today is much of the letter that he writes to Christians like us draws attention to suffering, all kinds of suffering. But in every instant of our suffering, there's a good consequence. How do you see the good among the not so good? Well, Peter gives us some ideas. He starts in, in verse 15 with, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, because people don't always tell me what they think. But I think Lutherans identify with Jesus as our Savior to a greater degree than we maybe acknowledge Jesus as our Lord. And what I mean by that is we're very much aware of our sinful condition. Uh, as we start each service out with the confession of sin, we can't free ourselves from this sinful condition. So what do we need? We need a Savior. We like having a Savior. But to set apart Christ in your heart as Lord, there's a nuance there that's different, which basically is this, that Jesus has a right to tell you what to do, how to live. That isn't just about you willy-nilly doing whatever you want just so you can come back and hear you're forgiven and then go back like it doesn't matter again. You're going to start all over again. Setting apart Christ as Lord means that the forgiveness of sins that is given to us through the saving work of Jesus Christ also has with this this component of stop doing it. Change. Evaluate. Do something different than you've always done. And in that process of doing it, you're going to be able to see an aspect of life, maybe even your earthly problems that you didn't see before. Because when those things happen, if it's your car that gets the flat tire, if it's your wife that gets the bad news, if it's your retirement that's taken a big hit, it takes over. But when Jesus is not only the Savior of my sin, but the Lord of my life, I understand he's in control of what I can't control. Peter goes on, he says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There are two very important things here. First of all, are you prepared to give an answer if somebody asks you the reason that you're a Christian? The reason that Jesus is important to you? Now, I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden somebody's going to show up this week and go, hey, 
I just have this desire. I want to come over to you and tell you go and tell me what you believed. But what if it happened? What is that answer? What is that reason? I would argue it makes all the difference in the world. It's one thing to know Jesus. It's another thing to be able to articulate for yourself why Jesus is important to you. What difference has he made in your life? If we take Jesus out of the formula, we're trying to change life from happening to us. But when Christ is our Lord, and he's a part of that, and I know why he's a part of that, and I know why I'm a part of him, my outlook on life is different. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. When things happen, and they're not always good, what do we what do we do? Well, how do we process it? He says, be prepared. What is your answer? If for no other reason, for yourself. We don't want to just sit here and hear it and say, that was nice to hear, but to incorporate it, to make it a part of your conversation, if, if for nobody else but yourself. So I know, why do I get up in the morning? Why am I here? I have an answer. I have a reason for it. What is that hope? Now, that's another concept to the verse you want to maybe think about a little bit as well. I'm of the opinion that a lot of people think of the word hope. They think of more along the lines of wishful thinking. Yeah, (laughs) I hope to visit you sometime. It's not the certainty at all. It's the idea, well, if I have time, if nothing else comes up, I'll, I'll be there. Biblically speaking, however, hope is not wishful thinking at all. Hope is a state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. It's not built on just a a hopeful idea of can't we all get along and they lived happily ever after there's substance to hope hope means to expect with confidence or to choose a desire with anticipation imagine how your life is now perceived different when you have a definition of hope that isn't willy-nilly based upon however you think or feel on a certain day, but on something solid, on a, on a foundation that actually makes a difference in how you see life, how you process life. Do you know that hope comes into its own wheelhouse, if you will, when crisis comes about, opening us up to new creative possibilities? I started early with the illustration of we all know death is coming. But what happens when it hits home? It's my wife, my husband, my son or daughter, my mother, my father, my best friend. That can throw us in the loop. All of a sudden, did you hear the news? We can't think about anything else. We're kind of consumed in what does this mean? And yet hope comes along. 
we're confronted with, now what do I do? They're gone. They're not coming back. We have to begin to think about our life differently. We have to begin to think about, okay, now what? Now what do I do? They're gone. How do I process? The mind works in, in very interesting ways as we seek to find ideas or, or direction on what do I do now? And behind all that new perspective that the crisis has thrown at it, out pops some very positive and strong emotions. Happiness and joy. Courage and empowerment. At the same time we deal with our sadness, we have the joy of knowing that Christ is our Savior, that hopefully our loved one died in the faith. And even though I will miss them, I have that promise that God keeps his word to the one I love. Hopeful people are kind of like the little engine that, that could because they keep telling themselves as they face their difficulties, I know that, all thing, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Imagine how that changes whatever bad thing you have. Whatever it is that you're facing is to know that, wait a minute, there's something good in here. I don't like what I'm going through, but it's not the end of the world. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. This too shall pass. God has not abandoned me during my time of need. Rather, God has come to me in my time of need to give me the strength and encouragement it is to live in this world. Now, when Peter talks about hope, he's talking about living hope that is given to us through Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection. He says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The hope that we have is that Christ paid for our sins and rose again. And just as Christ rose again, we too rise to a new life. We don't have to confront the issues of our day without that hope or that promise that is given to us in Christ. And it allows us to step back and reconsider how we're going to address whatever that difficulty may be. That's why both Paul and Peter encourage us to pay attention to the Word of God, that we may grow up in our salvation. Paul encourages us, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. That's not wishful thinking. That's based upon a historical record of people of God, how they lived, and how God was with them as they lived their life. Living hope is kept alive in us when the Word of God is an important part of our life. In the Bible, we see it again and again, the stories about how people went up against overwhelming odds, things I would argue most of us wouldn't tolerate, It was hopeless to them, but it wasn't hopeless to God. Just two examples. 
One is, is Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave his family and follow him, and that he was going to be made into a great nation, numbering the stars in the sky, the sands of the beach, and, and out of Abraham's offspring, the world would be blessed through his offspring. That's pretty powerful stuff. Do you know how long he had to wait until it came about? He was 100 years old when he was circumcised eight days after Isaac was born. Now, during that time, he tried to fix his problems with, well, things that are really a big part of some of the problems we have in the Middle East right now. Dating all the way back to the offspring of Abraham. Thinking that that's the fix I should go when trusting in the promises of God. Knowing that when God gives his word, he keeps it. The other one that came to my mind was Moses. He... All the wonderful things that God did through, uh, with Moses, and yet you get him outside of Egypt, and he is bombarded every day with the cares and concerns, and with all due respect, the whining that sometimes God people do. How come this isn't happening? We don't have this. We don't have that. Abraham, uh, Moses says, take it up with God. Don't blame me for it. And yet, what, God, what did God do? We don't have something to drink. Well, take this piece of wood and throw it in the water, and the bitter water will become drinkable. And if that's not enough, hit this rock with your staff, and you'll get millions of gallons of water to feed the millions of people and all their livestock that left Egypt. Pow! We want something to eat. Well, I'll tell you what. Every morning when you get up, you have the opportunity to gather the manna that I laid out there for you. And every night I'm going to let a bunch of dumb birds fly into your camp so you can catch them and you can eat them too. Quail. Why? But the people struggled with it. Because they wanted... God to fix everything their way instead of being able to step back and say in the middle of stuff that doesn't make sense that's overwhelming and really kind of frustrating God still is talking God still has a plan this is a picture a very clear picture of the heart of God that even though we find ourselves confronting all sorts of obstacles in our life God never abandons us Oftentimes those obstacles and those difficulties come at us at a time that weeks, months later, we look back and go, duh, at the moment I didn't like it, but now I understand. I get it. I think parenting and grandparenting is a good example of that. When you're in the middle of it, it's, you know, you're trying to shape the kids in your own image, and yet when you back away from it a little bit, you begin to see how God works in and through in and through his word as it speaks to the children about how Jesus loves them. And even when they go to sleep at night, they don't have to be afraid of dying because Jesus is going to take care of them. Again and again in Scripture we see this. Again and again we are reminded that what we don't see is what God is doing in our moment of weakness.
But when we have the clarity of our witness, when we have the clarity of understanding what God has, has done for us, Peter reminds us that we need to share our hope of salvation with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I, I can't see a better place for this actually playing out in lives than in relationships. We start with our relationship with Christ. What is that? How did that happen? And then the implication, or the actual the application of what Christ has done for us, how it influences our relationship with other people. This is Mother's Day. One of the for guys anyway, one of the more important holidays that we enjoy is to say thanks, Mom, for what you've done. It's not like Father's Day isn't important. It's just not the same, is it? It's a time for us to give thanks. To step back and say, you know, maybe we were told to do what we were told to do because mom and dad had a, a, a bigger goal in mind? Our relationship with Jesus shapes our relationship with everybody else. When I know that Jesus died for me, poor pitiful me, and I begin to think of his relationship with you, I realize that I'm not your judge. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Who am I to judge you? The greater sinner in the room. I have no place to stand. My job is to give you a witness of the hope that I have in Christ my Savior. Watch how Peter expands this thought. And by the way, there's five sermons in here. But I need to make the point, otherwise Pastor Prem will be mad. Well, I didn't cover the whole text. He'll get it next week, I'm sure. So we go back to, for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Where am I in all that? I'm on the receiving end. Jesus is doing it all. But there's more. Made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Uh, Peter is known for extremely long sentences. And I think I sound like him sometimes. It's like, well, we're here, but let's go over here. And it's like, why, you know. But what he's doing is he's always bringing us back to what Jesus has done. So he makes the connection to what Christ has done for us in forgiving our sins and draws it back to what Christ did between Good Friday and Easter. He descended into hell. He preached to those who were in prison, who were disobedient during the days when the ark was being built. He shifts now and he goes, In it, i.e. the ark, eight and all were brought safely through what? Not the boat, through the water. What did the flooding do but address the sinfulness of man that was prevalent during Noah's day? 
what saved Noah and the animals was the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and who is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, being, having been subjected to him. It's like he's writing the Apostles' Creed. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Peter's given us the, the outline, if you will, in this ancient creed for what we know today as the Apostles' Creed. But the weird thing about this is we have no experience when it comes to Jesus' exaltation. We were born. We did grow up. Life hasn't always been the greatest for us. One day we too shall die. These are physical things that we can connect to out of our own experience. But how do you connect to a descent into hell? The exaltation of Christ not to give people a second chance, but put, to put the nail in Satan's coffin. I'm the seed of the woman who delivers you. Ascending into heaven, sitting with all authority at the right hand of God. What do we do with that? Well, we don't dismiss it. You can't dismiss everything that Christ has done for you. They are an essential part of how to deal with difficult times in your life. Because they tell us of a future that is waiting for us, that is greater than us. A place where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears except the tears of joy. All coming about of what Christ has done and is continuing to do for us as we put our hope, our certainty of faith into what God tells us he has done and will do for us in Jesus. Because of that, it becomes vitally important that we have our witness. That we know what to say. Again, if nothing else, just to ourselves. What is the reason? What is the basis of my hope, my certainty? Do you understand how things change when Jesus is in the middle of it all? Jesus didn't call me to a life where there is no more suffering. My life is actually understood best when I experience the downside of living in a sinful and broken world. When I realize that there is no salvation here, that I don't hold on to this world so tightly I can't let it go. When I understand that God has a bigger plan in mind for me, I'm able to begin to process why am I still here and what's my purpose, why my reason, even if I get the flat tire, even if I get the bad news, even if our economy goes belly up, my hope isn't in those things. It's in Christ and what he does. 
He rules over everything in heaven and on earth. And I'm a part of that plan through Christ my Lord. Segway now, if I may, to Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a time to show appreciation and love to mom. Many see today as uh, it's kind of a test. If you're a florist, what's the test? Well, it's Mother's Day, you should buy your mom these flowers. If you happen to wheel and deal in candy, will there be a pile of chocolate for her today? How about if you're talking to, about Hallmark? You just can't say it. You have to have one of those cards. And then, of course, if you're a restaurant, let's take mom out to eat. That's what you got to do on this day. What's weird about those celebrations is that, by the way, there's nothing wrong with them, okay? I'm not saying there's something wrong with them. But the people that are encouraging that response have a vested interest in having you follow through on it, don't they? What better way to celebrate Mother's Day? than by reminding ourselves who created our mom. Who moved our mother to, to share God's love with us that we would know that Jesus is our Savior. And what that message of salvation is. It's in Christ and in Him alone. And where, as little kids, we would find sanctuary in the loving arms of mom, well, as big people, we find our sanctuary in the loving arms of the very person that mom found comfort in. That was Jesus. That's why we had a sermon today about Jesus. Because I can't think of a better gift to give you on a day where we honor, arguably in the minds of some, the greatest living example of what love looks like in our families. Nothing against God, uh, guys. Uh, I think Pastor Prem has the Father's Day sermon, so we'll get that then. But um, mothers, it's a, just a special connection to love and by God's grace through her to the love that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.